Hey everybody, welcome in special Sunday night bonus edition. Courtside with Beals and Tennis. As always, this week's Courtside with Beals and Tennis segment is brought to you by the Ragged Man, the industry leader in racket stringing, racket repair, and customization. Go to www.theragamand.net. Alright, before we introduce this awesome, funny, hilarious guest, if my voice sounds a little, I don't know, raspy or something, it's because I was at the Thomas Rhett concert last night in the United Center, sang my butt off to about every word, uh, to every song, me, myself, uh, my, my daughter, her friend, about 20,000 plus people. If you like Thomas Rhett, if you like that kind of music, go definitely see him in concert. Uh, it was pretty incredible. So that's my little apology in advance. With that, I'm going to introduce to you a special guest, University of Georgia graduate, recently turned professional, and I think, in my, in my opinion, one of the funniest people you will ever find on Twitter. If you haven't followed her yet, go give her a follow. Please welcome to the pod, Kennedy Schaefer. Kennedy, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I can't promise to uh, to be anything comparable to Thomas Rhett, but I can at least try. <laughs> and for the people listening, if uh, if you cannot hear Kennedy, as we always do with our calling guests, um, just type in a comment, and we'll have her scream into the phone even louder. Um, but we, as you know, what we've had with previous guests, you guys have been able to hear them pretty well. So. Um, Okay, so here's kind of the premise of, of why we're having Kennedy on. And for those who follow her, we'll, we'll have known what occurred. But this time, seven days ago, Kennedy, along with the rest of the tennis world, were absolutely, and we're going to keep it clean here, losing their minds over what was a ridiculous, amazing U.S. Open final between Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev. Um... I wanted to even get Kennedy on the night of, right after the match, but there was no way she was mentally stable to do it then. And then we were thinking maybe 24 hours later, she had a conflict and we still didn't know if she was still stable enough to do it. So we figure about seven days from the time of. I think we're safe. Kennedy, You have you recovered from that awesomeness? I just don't think anyone can ever physically recover from watching such a high level and such incredible athletes and such a roller coaster ride. But I'd like to think that a week later I can sit and be a little more rational and process this and, and appreciate it than I was able to do that because I was like laying on the floor yelling. So I mean this was I, routine for this for this time around. I mean this was routine, two sets to love He's up a break in the third, right? I mean, we've seen this so many times. A guy plays Rafa close uh, first set, then that person's level falls off a little bit, and the Rafa train just starts rolling. But uh, this was incredible. And some of your tweets, I want to read. I want to read a couple of, of Kennedy's tweets. There was one that said, "Ugh, I love you," and I there there was a picture of Rafa in the tweet, so I assume that was directed. <laughs> I assume that was directed to Rafa. If it wasn't, be you know, feel free to declare your love for anybody else right now. It was certainly my, you know, I love them all. I think they're all great, but Rafa is forever my champion. Okay. So that was directed at the man I wish would share his boat with me, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> then you have, I can't watch, but then I can't not watch, so what am I supposed to do? I think I gave you the suggestion of, 
close uh, one eye, and then slightly open the other eye just to barely see what's going on. And then, and then the, the last tweet I want to share, which was my personal favorite, it was, is it weird if I say I feel like I could throw up right now because I really feel like I could throw up right now? And I think that I think you were speaking 100% the truth. Oh, absolutely. My anxiety throughout that, and I, like, I actually have real anxiety, and I have no right to be as invested in that match as I, as I was, and my anxiety was just out of control. I can't even imagine being there and, and physically playing that, and, you know, it was incredible for, from Rafa's standpoint to recover, and it was incredible from Medvedev's standpoint to get himself back in the match. I would have puked, 100%. <laughs> You know, five hours, we're on the couch watching, and these guys are still, Medvedev's still bombing 128-mile-an-hour shares. I don't know how anyone's shoulder can handle that, but um, to give all due credit to Medvedev, you also had a tweet which said, if you aren't beyond impressed with Medvedev's movement and his consistent ability to get to balls you wouldn't expect, then there's something wrong with you. This 6'6 man is absolutely incredible. I mean, he is. And like I said, I say this as, as someone who loves tennis and appreciates tennis, and obviously I'm a I'm a diehard Rafa fan. We've uh, we've covered that, so it's not as if I uh, haven't laid my cards on the table. But Medvedev is just, and I, I tweeted a while ago, and I don't I don't know if it's mean or not, but he just looks. He, when you look at him at first glance, he's not what I like look and think a tennis player's build is. Not that there's necessarily a typical build because every there's a bunch of different players with different sizes and all that, but like. I just remember thinking, oh, he's kind of, you know, goofy. And I consider myself goofy, too. So, again, not ripping him, not pointing fingers. And he's 6'6", and I swear he moves faster than half, more than half people that are shorter than him. <laughs> he's going all the time. I just, he just, he's like, he, he's, he's mind-boggling to me. I just don't know how he does it. Uh, you know, and I, I'll like, be the first. I would love to know. Yeah, I know. And and look, I'm the first to admit that I, I was wrong I about him with what I thought would happen in the U.S. Open just because I've seen it a lot of times um, in the past with players that these people, whether it's men or women, have a great, great summer, but they play so much tennis just because they're getting to the finals of so many tournaments. And then they just arrive in New York and they're just gassed. And I've seen it. Absolutely. We had Sasha Zverev a couple of years ago. Even going way back, we've had Brad Gilbert, our favorite BG, in 1989, had an unbelievable summer and loses in the first round. And these are uh, these are just a couple examples. It happens a lot. And you know, early round, he had some dangerous early rounds, and we thought just the tiredness it would eventually get to him. And then in the final, when he's down two sets to love and a break, I mean, gosh, he's got to the final. No, no shame in that. And he just kicked it into another gear. It's unbelievable. Exactly, that was what I was thinking, and, and I, you know what, I'm a clown, I thought Rafa was going to win in three, I really, truly did, and I just, I, I'm watching this match, and I'm thinking, this guy, there's just no way he's going to be able to go five with Rafa, he's, he's got to be tired, he's, there's just no physical way, and, and the tennis that he started to play, I'm going to be entirely honest, as a diehard Rafa fan, if he had done that for three sets, I just don't know. You know, if you've done that that level from start to finish for, I don't know, I had a bad feeling about it. I actually thought Rafa was not going to win because Medvedev just looked so incredible. His ability to find angles and consistently run balls down standpoints. I mean, like I said, I literally am like mind blown by him. He is so fascinating to watch with his technique 
and, and the angles he can hit, how flat he is, where he can change directions, his ability to volley. Let's not forget how understated that is because right. I kept thinking, bring him to the net. He looks kind of like a baby giraffe. Like he's not going to be able to, to volley well. I don't know if he missed volleys. I'm not, I can't even remember, but he just he looked impressive, impressive in every facet of his game. It was incredible. It really was, and and I mean, again, you could talk about the 2008 Wimbledon final with with Rafa and Fed. I don't know of another match where Rafa really had to dig this deep um, to pull out a major because of what you said. And you know, when I say when someone like Medvedev, you know, slow start, right? He's down a break in the third, then he raises his level, and exactly what you said to play that for another three hours. If I'm coach, you know, what I tell my players when they're playing against someone who's starting to play at a whole nother level, I said, don't let them off the hook. You yourself still have to play at a high enough level because of the fact you don't think that a guy like Medvedev can play at that crazy good level for another three hours. And you know what? Rafa did play well. And Medvedev was, you know, razor thin, margin short of coming up in that final. I mean, it was crazy. It, it really was, and, and I just remember, and I'm kind of, I, it's just a trait I wish I didn't have, but I kind of am a bit of a know-it-all, at least at home. And so my mom's thinking, she, she keeps saying, it's going to, I don't know, I have a bad feeling, it's going to switch, and I'm laughing, and I'm like, you see this, it's two sets, he's up a break, like, this is routine, this match is done. And like I said, I exhibited clown-like behavior and thinking that Medvedev was out. <laughs> I, I, and I, no, like, I, I can, I have no problem being wrong, and I will admit it, I was so entirely baffled and incorrect. I, I really just thought Rafa's so physical and his ability to remain physical for so long. It, it's just that's what makes him great. It, it's him. It's his, his endurance, his willpower, all that stuff. And I have, you know, this is not a rip on any other of the greats because they're all phenomenal. But I don't know. Rafa just looks like a different breed to me in that sense. And Medvedev, in my opinion, which, again, my probably ignorant, uneducated opinion, Medvedev showed the closest, like, grit to Rafa that I have really seen, you know, in watching. And again, that's just my opinion. It's probably not correct, but he just looked like a whole nother beast. I mean, a machine. That's what I think of. He's literally a machine. He just does his work. He goes about his business, and he continues to do it. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I, hey, I, I agree, and it, it was crazy, and it, it was. We were also blessed to to be able to watch that. I know we can talk about this for for hours, but I want to move on because there's something even more important than than the Rafa greatness. You know, in the women's final, it was Bianca Andreescu versus the great Serena Williams, and Bianca Andreescu. I mean, gosh Almighty, what a year she had! She won Indian Wells, she won Rogers Cup, and she won the U.S. Open. Um, the the most important fact of this whole segment is you, Kennedy Schaefer, played Bianca Andreescu just a few years ago, head-to-head, you lead that series one match to zero. So indirectly, you had an incredible year this year. <laughs> like, honestly, I like, would tell myself that, and then I would kind of laugh because the reality of my year has been horrific, absolutely horrific. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a realistic person. I, I can sit back and watch. And I just look at how different our results are. I had wrist surgery. I couldn't win a match. I was on like an eight-match losing streak. And then she goes, Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, U.S. Open. I was like, well, I must be doing something different than her. <laughs> uh, I want to know what it is, though, because we, uh, we're we 
we're in two totally different places in our lives right now. Yeah, well, in all fairness, and again, when you follow when you follow Kennedy on Twitter, you'll see one of her. It's, I think it's like the pinned tweet. Um, you've you've been through you know kind of hell and back the last year and a half, but you're finally uh, seems to be getting healthy. So hopefully the results will come. Obviously, playing at the at this level, if you're if you're injured, I mean, gosh, it, it, the the thin, everyone is so good. The margins are so thin from winning and losing. If you're slightly injured, um, it's it's going to show in your results. But hopefully, now that you're healthy, we'll get you we'll get you going. And, and for those that don't know, I mean, this wasn't like when this wasn't like when Kennedy was ten and Bianca was six. I mean, this was just a I few was years ago. When I was 10, so, like, yeah. no. so what were the scores of that match? You were seventeen and she was fourteen. Is that the, is that right? Yeah, I think it was. One or one and five, or two and five. I want to say, I don't remember if it was one or two in the first set. I know the second set was seven five. Hey, we'll go. We'll go six one seven five. You over the U.S. Open I'll champ. I'll tell myself six one. Yeah, we'll just run with that. Oh, I'll, I, I'll push I, that narrative. Absolutely. Now, I do want to mention, though. I mean, Bianca, and it was incredible. And some people were picking her to win to win the tournament when it started. And I mean, when you know she was injured too, but when she was healthy, um, she obviously was playing great tennis in her forehand. Forehand is unbelievable. Um, yeah, but when so she, much variety off that side. Yes, and she's up six three five one, and this is a New York crowd. Obviously, not that they're against Bianca, but they're all for Serena. And I felt when it was six three five one with a match point, it got to five five in what felt to me seven minutes. I knew it. I knew it was it was longer than that. But if it felt for me like seven minutes, I could only imagine what it felt for her. It must have felt like thirty seconds. Um, I mean, that went from 5-1 up to 5-5 in a heartbeat. And you even saw her, when it got to 5-5, the crowd was so loud, she put her fingers in her ears um, to try to block out some of the sound. You know, for her to gather herself and win those next two games, pretty damn impressive. I'm just trying to, I want to ask you, you know, if you're in that situation, um, how would you have handled yourself? I think you're asking the wrong person because that's... uh... (laughs) You know, I that is a confidence and, and an assurance in yourself and just a calm, peaceful, in, internal peacefulness that I can't relate to. At least, you know, it's hard for me to look at that and think about what I would do just because everything has been so terrible for the last year. And I, I felt like I've been on edge all the time, 24-7. Um, one of the things that, when I was playing well, was, was one of my strongest uh, attributes that I would rely on is the fact that he didn't care what the score was. I was just going to rip the ball and, and, you know, whatever happened, happened. But in that situation, I mean, I actually, I don't know, was it really longer than seven minutes? Because I thought Serena won two games at like five, 15 or at love. So it, it went so fast. And I, I really thought that that set was going to be, was going to be done. And, and her ability to just wipe the slate clean with a little bit of, of help from Serena's serve going off. I mean, I just, props to her because I actually, not that it matters, I thought the New York crowd was a little bit, not rude, that's not the right word, um, but like in the Nadal match, I mean, they were cheering, it, it, I don't know, I just got a weird feeling from that, and I just, I, I tip my hat that I'm not wearing to her, because <laughs> that's, that's got to be a trust in your training and your, and your box and all the people that surround you and the work you've done that, I mean, I just cannot... I cannot understand how she did that. That was, to me, that was the most impressive part of the whole match. Not yeah. how heavy she can hit her forehand, her ability to slice, her variety. It's the fact that she's been writing herself U.S. Open checks since she was, what, like 13, yeah. 14. And she knew she
capitalize on that moment. And I definitely think Serena didn't play great, you know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't take away from the fact that she rebounded like I've not seen anyone do. It was incredible. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I thought what she did at five five was like what you said was greater than getting than being up six three five one because when you got everything going against you and it's going against you quick to gather yourself and do what she did was was pretty incredible. Um, I actually thought that was even more incredible than her winning Indian Wells and her Rogers Cup. I mean, you know, Rogers Cups at home, Indian Wells. She was the underdog and she she showed some absolute grit and fight, but her ability at five all in that second set to just flip the switch. That, to me, is probably the most impressive thing I've seen. Not that I've watched her a ton until recently when she started to do extremely well. That was just, that was another level to me. I don't know. I haven't seen a someone with, again, that mental fortitude. It, uh, she just, I, like I said, props to her. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, man. I agree. Um, kind of switching a little bit um, out of the U.S. Open discussion you had recently um, did some research and, and helped out with an article, and it's something that is getting you know, has gotten a lot of press. But it's even you guys kind of dived into it. You guys kind of dove into it. Sorry, dove into it a little bit deeper at the at the lower levels, um, especially at the challenger levels and below. And that's the inequality of pay between the men and women. And not only the inequality of pay between men and women, but what goes along with that, the number of opportunities. There were greater opportunities um, for men to play certain tournaments in favorable locations as compared to where the women um, were able to play at, uh, you know, at favorable locations. There just weren't as many. So... Um, you know, full disclosure, I read it. I did not do a deep dive into all the stats and everything, but it, it was a good article, and if you want to talk about it, I'll let you kind of run with it a little bit. For sure. Um, you know, credit to the person who collected all the data. His name's Paul. He did, he did all the data work. I just kind of helped him write a little bit and, and look into that, but it's uh, it's it's a little bit disappointing to me, and, and I feel absolutely responsible the fact that we haven't had many prominent women voices speak out about this i'm not sure if we just a and i say we as in women women's tennis i'm not sure if we weren't aware of how big the discrepancy was or or if we just didn't want to say anything and i'm not trying to make this an issue of men versus women i'm not trying to be sexist but like when i really looked at the data men are guaranteed accommodation at a challenger they're not allowed to host a challenger without accommodation i can't tell you how many times I've had to put four or five people in a hotel room to save money. And, and that's like... That's uh, new, you know, by the way, though. The challengers... Know, it's, not, it's not even comfortable, and it's not even cheap. No, I know. But the cha- by the way, just for people watching, the challengers didn't... Uh, the men's challengers did not always do that. That's part of the recent change. Um, they'd always try to find free housing and everything, but they, there was not a requirement um, to house ah. the players. But that recently changed. I stand corrected. My apologies. Um I did not, again, and here I am speaking on something that I can't say that I know a ton about. No, it just changed for the men. It just changed for the men, like, this year. It's not, like... <laughs> oh, well, you know, and look, I, I respect it. They've been speaking out. They've been doing something, and, you know, as much as it's tough for them, it really, the more I, I looked into this, the more I realized how kind of crappy it is, it is for us. We have... I don't even know, I can't remember the number, how many less events and in consecutive events in the same location. Right. I mean, the, the difference was massive. And I sit here and think, for me, who doesn't have much money and has had injuries and, and, and it's been rough, I sit and think, for me, 
each event, I'm thinking, am I going to be able to afford to go here? You know, I can't pick my schedule because I don't know what I'm going to be able to pay for, especially because it's kind of all over the place. Like, I can't afford to leave the country. Uh, At Canada, I can swim. But for me, it's just, it's too much. And so consecutive locations, like the, the three tournaments in South Carolina coming up, that's a blessing. That's huge. And I just feel like we don't get that very often. And I'm not arguing that the men do. Although it looks like they had some consecutive events, I'm just speaking from a, from women's tennis perspective. We're too all over the place. It feels a bit random in a way. Yeah, uh, I mean, and and look, God bless Noah Rubin. I've had him on this segment. I've had him on the podcast, and what he's doing with behind the racket, it's awesome. But I for those that, that really, so yeah, what's that? I said that's so. I love that. I love following that. I, I love that concept. I think it's so great to put a face behind the tennis players that we're not just athletes. We're pers- we're individuals with with difficulties, and and I I just love what he's doing. I just had to second that because I don't know him, but I know his name obviously. But what he does is, is just absolutely great. He, I think it's amazing. For God bless what he's doing. But just to kind of <laughs> kind of educate everybody who's listening to this, Noah. You know, he gets the grandsons. He qualified for Wimbledon. He did not qualify for the U.S. Open. But there are times when he's getting to these Grand Slams. And again, at Wimbledon, I think he made close to $50,000. So if you equate what some of the top challenger guys are doing, I would almost say that's triple A. You know, if you're going in baseball terms, and often they, they get called up to the majors. That's I'm just using a comparison. What we're talking yeah, about absolutely. with Kennedy and hundreds and hundreds of other players and why I chose to do the pro- the current project I'm doing with um, Baylor University alum Jimmy Bendek. I have that documentary, um, you know, The Journey, Life on Tour with Jimmy. We are taking people well Rank, but you know, well ranked below what Noah's level is, and Noah again, God bless what he's doing. He's doing amazing, but the model is is messed up, and I think we all agree that. I mean, gosh, Kennedy, you're you're teaching tennis lessons just so you can afford the entry fees and a little bit of travel. It's not like you're killing it with teaching these lessons. You're just trying to do whatever you can just to try to give yourself a chance, and the model is broken, but. The more and more this gets talked about, uh, you know, only uh, it could only get better. I, I really feel that way. I hope so. And again, I, I don't think that I'm like the rare exception. I'm sure that there's plenty of other people who are doing what you know above and you know what what doesn't feel normal to have to be able to play. Like I just remember for a while I was speaking from nine to three straight with no breaks on Saturdays and Sundays and. And just standing there on the court again, this probably sounds a little lazy, but like my back would just not be able to take it. And by then, standing there going through these lessons, I'd be exhausted. I wouldn't even want to train. And again, I know that that sounds lazy. My job as a player is to motivate myself and and want to do the work. But when you stand there and just teach tennis for I don't even remember how many hours it was, just to be able to play, and then to watch other people that can afford to go to um, with Japan. I was in Japan earlier in the year, and there's like six to eight tournaments and I'm, I'm sitting here again I'm thinking I, I don't know where I'm going to be able to go next because I don't know what kind of money I'm going to have and again that's not a knock on anybody who does have money I'm happy for them it, it does make it a little bit easier but for people like myself who are really struggling the model is broken you're, you're so right about that uh, and <laughs> I mean you, you read a little bit about it when the slams are coming up right and like the New York Times will have an article about 
oh, the week before the, before the tournament starts is the best week in tennis. You get to see the qualies. Again, that's the qualies for a slam. And these, right, it's so much above still. It's like such another like high level. Exactly. Because they're like, these people are, you know, they make it almost seem like they're beginners. So I'm sitting here thinking, these people are really, 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 really good. Really good. People have no idea. And now, now like, yeah. I, I think, and again, I, I'm trying to view this like in fairness. And at this level, you know, whether it's... Gosh, whether it's between the you know Roger Federer, Rafa, and Novak, those margins are so slim. Um, rankings from fifty to three hundred, those are razor thin. Three, you know, I would argue two hundred to seven hundred is razor thin. And you I agree with you on that one, absolutely, hundred percent. And you, and I mean, these margins are so so small, and yet not everybody is kind of starting on on equal footing. And I get that life is not. You know, look, life is not fair for everyone. I, I totally understand that. But the more we talk about these issues, the model is going to at least get looked at, and we're starting to see some improvements on it. And, um, you know, hey, God, God willing, it, it, it will be, because people have no idea how good number 600 in the world is. They really don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, sometimes it's the person that's 600 in the world, and, I, again, when I say this, I'm not undermining anybody who's ranked anywhere near above me. Like, it's not from that. It's sometimes 600 in the world is doing X more, and not I'm talking, I'm not talking about work in the gym, and just to, to make things work. You know, I have nights where, like, I, I would be up early in bed late I was teaching, or I was doing this or that, or babysitting to make money. And again, you're right. Life's not fair. I don't, you know, I have no problem with admitting that. But sometimes it is the 600, 500 range of people that have to do a, a little bit more that's not even necessarily, like, training-related. So they have to divert their energy into something that is not necessarily, you know, beneficial for their career. Right. I mean, like, my back would be destroyed standing on court. And the money is beneficial for my career, but, God, I mean, I couldn't, I could barely walk the next day. Right. And I also have a bad back, so full disclosure on that. <laughs> you know, my back, my back is out of it's just a whole other story, but but still, it's, it's those people that you know they're doing everything they physically can to make it, and, and you know nobody knows. No one nobody, knows. Not, I don't want to say no one cares, but like sort of, you know, people don't really care. They're not that interested, and right. that's fine. I understand, but it, it's really tough. Yeah, no, I get it. We're gonna keep getting the word out, and and we keep we like I said, keep talking about it, keep talking about it, and improvements will be made, and and you know. Um, I, I so appreciate you taking your time. I know you're doing everything you can getting ready for, for your tournaments. We haven't really even gotten to your background. And um, for those that want to <laughs> learn... quite all right. Yeah. For those that want to learn more about Kennedy, because Kennedy is, is awesome and she's really, really funny and it's an interesting story. Um, Cracked Rackets did an interview on you uh, a while back and I'd urge people to um, go check that interview out with Kennedy and... Before we let you go, Kennedy, I just want to kind of hear um, what your focus is on the rest of this year and then hopefully healthy and, and 2020 as well. Yeah, uh, for me right now, my my focus is uh, getting my wrist able to, to maintain a level of tournament after tournament. I did have surgery at the, the end of April, and I put it off for six months. It started being a problem last December, and I just didn't. You know, you just as an athlete, you just want to keep going, keep going, and you think you can play through it. Sometimes it's greater than that. So 
My goal is still to play consecutive events because up until now, I've played like an event and then a couple weeks or something like that. So I'd love for my wrist to be able to hold up. I'd love to just get a lot of matches in. And, you know, I have 28 points to defend. My whole ranking basically lies on that. But I, I'm trying not to think about that because just circumstances have just, uh, they've, they've, they've put my, my path in a little bit of another direction right now. You know what? That's, that's fine. It's, it's different for everybody. So I'd love to play the, the three tournaments in South Carolina coming up if I can get in. And then there's two in Canada, Toronto and Saginaw, uh, two of my favorite events. I love, I love the events they put on there. And then I think there's two 25Ks in Florida in November. Um, I can't, you don't quote me on that, though, because I'm really bad with the calendar. But, you know, I would just like to be healthy enough to play. After everything that's kind of happened, I would just like to go and play consecutive tournaments and see what I'm capable of. Because up until now, I just haven't even been able to do that. I finally got on a roll last October, and I was feeling really good, and then boom, wrist. So I just would like to be healthy, and I'm, I'm happy on the court again. I've worked through all those problems that, you know, we didn't go in-depth with, thankfully. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, nobody wants to hear that. But uh, I just, I, I love what I do again, and I just want to give myself a chance. If I'm not going to make it, I'm okay to say, you know what, I just didn't have it. But I just haven't been able to put myself in a position to even try the right way. So that's really all I want. That's, that's what I want. Like I said, I, the people that make it, it's, it's very slim. And I may not, and I'm okay with that. But I just haven't put myself in a position to even give myself a chance. So all I want is to be healthy and to just give myself a chance. Yeah, absolutely. As everyone has should have the right to do, right? Give yourself the best possible chance to succeed, be healthy, and then see where it goes from there. But to not even get to that position, you just feel cheated and that you never even had the opportunity to see um, how far how far it can take you. But you know what? Hopefully all that's behind you, and we're going to all wish you the best of luck, and we're going to all follow you again for some good laughs. Um, go follow Kennedy on social media, on Twitter. She is absolutely hilarious. And Kennedy, I want to thank you for, for spending your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you for boosting up my sense of humor. So now I feel obligated to produce. Yeah, this was not to. Yeah, yeah, great. I raised your anxiety even more now. This was not the. Uh, Just a the, heads up: there's some Tom Cruise mentioned. So if you don't care for Tom Cruise, uh, I will discuss his movies too. It's very <laughs> random. So if you're not interested in very random anxiety-ridden thoughts, my Twitter's probably not for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Have a good evening, Kennedy. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, so hopefully hopefully everyone enjoyed that. She's got an unbelievable personality. Again, Kennedy Schaefer, um, University of Georgia graduate, recently turned professional, and and one of the funniest people you'll you'll, uh, ever follow on Twitter. I can promise you that. So thanks. This was kind of a bonus edition. I know typically after the U.S. Open, um, I kind of take a little break. I know there's Labor Cup coming up this weekend, so... um, you know, we'll see if I'll do something then, but just wanted to have her on because of her comments after the men's final on Twitter, and we wanted to follow up with her and kind of talk about those matches as well, both uh, Rafa and Medvedev and then Bianca and Serena. So enjoy you guys tuning in. Talk to you soon. Bye.